This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am sitting here with my cohort in crime, Sarah Kumar. Sarah, if you want to say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. So for Facebook, you know, if you guys uh, are following along, we're going to be talking tonight about a conversation that I was having with uh, <laughs> this cab driver. Um, and I'll tell you guys the story because it was, it was sort of surreal. Um, I had an Eat Perform meetup, you know, for those that aren't familiar with Eat Perform, we have membership, you know, all over the world. And so uh, one of the things that I've been able to do recently is go to a few of the cities and we have kind of these bigger meetups. So I think in the last three or four months, I've been to Chicago, Colorado, and then this weekend in Kansas City. Now, just so you guys know that the format is basically going to be 30 minutes. I'm going to do this, talk about our theme related to addictions. And then the second half, you guys can actually pick up later. I will I will upload as the podcast. We have a bunch of each form members that are going to ask a lot of questions. And then in that process, you know, we will answer those questions and you can listen to them in the podcast. So you know, if you don't follow the podcast on Eat to Perform, be a good thing to do. You know, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those things. Super helpful. And there's a lot of cool podcasts that we've done over the last three years that you guys might find helpful. So I went to this Eat to Perform meetup, which was a blast. I wish I could talk. I'll probably talk a little bit more about it in the next um, podcast on Thursday and Saturday. But today I wanted to talk about this cab driver, right? This guy that basically <laughs> drove me to the airport. So I wake up and I thought it was going to be really easy. I thought I could catch a shuttle to the, the airport. Um, it turns out the airport is very, very far. And so the sh there was no shuttle. They were not going to be able to get me there. There was no Uber. And so I was, uh. yeah, so I was really struggling and one of the things that they suggested was that these three options would be available to me. The first option didn't work out. The second option, you know, it, it really is funny because the, uh, the and, and people are asking, you know, are we talking about food addiction, Mountain Dew addiction, soda addiction, nicotine addiction? We're going to really be talking about all kinds of addiction, right? So, uh so this guy picks me up from the airport, and I'm just telling you, within two minutes, okay, you know, I'm 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 firing up my my personal hotspot. I'm working on an article in the car, and I say to him, you know, um, I might end up falling asleep. So because I, I you know I didn't have a lot of sleep, and he's like, uh, oh yeah, okay. So I said something to him. I can't remember what I said to him that opened the door. Um, but uh, you know, you know, I asked him how 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 his weekend was going, and he said ah, it's good, man. It's real good. But uh, he's like, I have an alcoholic wife, you know, um, you know, been with her for twenty seven years. And I was like, well, Charlie, you're in good luck, buddy, because yeah. I am your guy as it relates to addiction, and so. Yeah. Um, 
for those that don't know, I'm a recovering alcoholic, drug addict, you know, drugs of choice were cocaine, uh, PCP, like some, some pretty, pretty messed up stuff. But I literally went from 16 years old to 18 years old and like I was on the fast track to, to dying, right? Um, and at the basis of all addiction is some hole that you're trying to fill, you know. And when you start to get into kind of the um, recovery from that stuff, you know, it was really interesting. You know, it, it's sort of funny because as I look up to my phone and seeing everybody talking, it's very distracting. Uh, time. Yeah, so I have to try and not... I have to try and, and not do that. Yeah, they, um, it's actually really super long right now. Um, it's sort of a mohawk. I can kind of do it a few ways. But when I was coming through treatment, right, the, uh, the standard idea was you would go through some level of psychotherapy. I went through a hospital called DePaul's in New Orleans. Um, as I grew up, I actually grew up very near DePaul's and when, um, I grew up in that area, uh, it was a mental hospital. That's the way that we thought of it. And in truth, it was a mental hospital that, that was, you know, the emphasis and they obviously moved towards, you know, treating addiction and things of that nature. But, but it really was something that was needed for me was some level of, you know, psychoanalysis that allowed me to kind of work through the things that were sort of troubling me, right? And so at that time, and, and to a certain extent, I think, would you mind muting yourself, Sarah, um, just through this discussion, just because I'm getting some reverb? Um, but at that time, we... Uh, the thought was abstinence, right? Abstinence was going to be sort of the answer. And, you know, like I said, almost 30 years later, um, I still have abstained. And, you know, in some ways, you know, I know a lot of people who went through treatment with me. Treatment is one of these, like most insurance companies don't cover treatment um, right now because it's, it's not very successful in that way. You know, food um, has a similar um, success rate as it relates to abstinence. When you look at the more rigid you get, there's not a lot of success there. You know, there's certainly numbers of people that have success there. But what I really want to focus on is the discussion that I was having with Charlie. And someone is, 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 is hitting me with the exact topic that we're going to be talking about. And it's the TED Talk on addiction. So we're going to get a little bit ahead of ourselves, But that TED Talk on addiction, we share it all the time. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how my experience and why I've been successful is more consistent with the TED Talk than it is with the abstinence talk, right? So the idea is that if you can stay away from drugs and alcohol or food triggers or all these things that, you know, Mountain Dew, nicotine, you know, all these things, the more you can stay away from it, the better. 
What's interesting about that from my food perspective is that's not really, you know, I mean, I went through about a 10-year period where I struggled with food. And, it, and it's probably no coincidence, you know, that, you know, I went from, you know, drug addiction. Um, you know, I've had my, my handle of gambling, obviously, you know, that we've talked about a number of times on this podcast. Uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, the food, you know, really kind of filling a hole for me. And I think that the holes, they're never, they never completely go away. One of the things that, that, you know, my wife, as an example, I would say it probably took me about 15 years before I could ever really f reciprocate love, you know, and it was interesting because Charlie, you know, my cab driver, he was talking to me about that and talking about how, you know, you can um, delete these, Sarah. Um, and because uh, there's some people that are like, you know, spamming us and such like this. So we want to make sure that we're not giving those guys love. But what Charlie was talking about was how his, his wife, you know, didn't really get a lot of love from her father, was a good guy, loved her, but ultimately wasn't able to show her this love. And that, uh, you know, she ultimately became a similar type person overall. I am sort of sensitive to that because, you know, I have, I have two young daughters. Um, we certainly, you know, hug I'm affectionate with my daughters, but I'm not overly huggy, you know. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because I, I am a huggy person, but I don't think to, yeah, like, hug my children probably near as much as I would like to. And I know, from you know, as someone who really studies a lot of the psychological benefits of these types of things, I know that there's a plus there, you know. Um, and so when I think of it, I try to, I try to do it. But... When I was talking to him, there was one part that I, I thought I had some good answers for. And then there's another part where I don't know that anyone has real good answers for. I think you have to sort of figure it out for yourself, right? Um, and just to be clear, what I'm talking about and, and, and like my experience with, with my wife, you know, I, I mean... I was intensely, in, in, intensely jealous guy early on, you know, based on my relationships with my family previous to this. Because the way that, that I viewed sex, the way that I viewed, you know, love was that it came and went like that, you know. And I just fully expected my wife for the longest time to just unreasonably leave my life, you know? And there were certainly periods early on where I was overly emotional. Um, I am a passionate guy in general, um, but I was overly emotional. And there were certainly times where I tried to push her out of my life, you know, just because she was getting too close, you know? And when... As I sort of move from who I used to be to phases, you know, because I'm still in phases right now. I still haven't completely figured things out. But it's kind of like that 
that sore that you have, like you have like this big gigantic blister. And if you don't puncture the blister, the pus doesn't come out and it doesn't heal, right? That's that's really what what your soul is like, <laughs> you know, is it, the more you bottle this kind of stuff, the more you will use, you know, alcohol, nicotine, whatever to, you know, kind of recover from these things. So the TED Talk that people are referencing that I think is super, super helpful, um, they did two studies, and there was a lot of things about these studies that were, were super helpful, but one of the things that they talked about were, were they were testing these rats, and, and one set of rats had basically a cage, and they had a choice of water or heroin, heroin water, and pretty much all the rats overdosed, right? Then they did something interesting. They gave the rats more options. And this was a big part of the discussion that I was having with the guy because he was very clearly. And what was so awesome about this guy was, one, he was willing to talk to a complete stranger about this type of stuff. He was just sort of, you know, there's just moments that you just can't explain. You know, and I know, you know. You, you know, I certainly have my doubts about God, but man, you know, you do wonder how this guy who's struggling with this problem, you know, how I get into his cab as someone who not only was a drug treatment counselor at one point, but ultimately has gone on to deal with various kinds of addictions. And uh, when they did the thing with the rats and they started giving the rats options and the rats were able to live healthy lives and they had a wheel and they had lady rats and they had abundant food um some of the rats did still die of heroin overdose but it was a very small percentage compared to what was almost a hundred percent the other way and what it speaks to and what the guy ultimately talks to, and like I said, you know, that somebody's posting the link. Um, I would encourage you all to watch it. But what the guy talked about was that some, the the cure for addiction is not sobriety. The cure for addiction is connection. So. When you look at how I've been able to recover from my addiction, and as I struggled with various things, like for instance, when I struggled with my food, I had a, I had a parameter, I had a template on how to solve that. Um, and I think that when we're looking at the connection and the life that you build, I quit going to AA um, after about five years. And this was part of the story I was telling to the cab driver, so I'm, I'm, I'm willing to share it with you guys because I think that it's important for people to hear this stuff. And, you know, I want you guys to know that, you know, I... If, if I, you know, if I can help somebody struggling, I want them to understand where it's at. But, but more importantly than that is I want 
people to know that you come out the other side, you know, and that that when you pierce that blister and the pus comes out, that's when you get free. Now, it gets scary, like I said with my wife. That's why I brought that up, you know. You'll want to retreat back to the old behavior. That's why a lot of people, you know, ultimately relapse and, and, and things of that nature. And, and as someone who hasn't drank, you know, in 30 years, I don't know. You know, I have to tell you that I do have my doubts whether or not I could drink or not. But I've built this amazing life. And so if there was, you know, 0.0001% chance that I would screw it up, I'm not going to do it. Right. Because I just have, you know, this amazing life, my amazing wife and my two daughters. And I, you know, if there's a chance that that wouldn't work out, there's no real argument for, you know, I mean, do I miss not having glasses of wine, having beer with friends during events? Sure. Absolutely. I still miss that to this day. I like the social aspect of that type of stuff. But I also like being the guy that drives in those scenarios. And I like being, you know, the one that allows people to have some level of freedom. I will say as as a sober person, you know, when the party gets to be about an hour and a half long, I'm out of there because I can't talk to you guys anymore. <laughs> you just don't make any sense. You know, um, just being honest with you guys about that. Um, but, and, and there is, you know, what's funny is that I think that people that drink feel judged by people like me. And I think that people like me aren't the people that, that you guys are really talking about. I think it's really the people that are new and those guys are scared shitless, right? Cause they've been told that if they're around anything, they're going to struggle and they're going to use. That's where I think the whole abstinence thing kind of robs people and the rigidity as it relates to food you know robs people the the issue isn't whether or not you pick up a drink or not right because that is in theory a very easy problem to solve just don't drink you know or don't use and then people say well the the addiction you know takes over i'm just gonna tell you you know there's some amount of will to that, but I had a friend of mine say this to me once, and I think that this describes it so well, you know. He said, the benefit that I got from being sober wasn't enough. My life wasn't better. It wasn't better than it was previously, and I was getting, you know, some social, and that's ultimately... When someone picks up, at, like I said, I don't know, but my guess is when someone picks up the alcohol or the drugs, they're ultimately choosing their previous life as more sympathetic than the life that they have right now, right? And they never really get to that other piece. As someone who's done various forms of counseling, the real issue is not the drugs and alcohol part. It just isn't. It's the, the deep diving, the hurt part, the things that you did wrong and the things that were done wrong to you that you really don't want to talk about. I used to take pride in the fact that I would never cry, right? Um, 
I cry like a baby now, virtually anything, you know, um, I'm just a very emotional guy. And the reason why I am an emotional guy is because I am able to open my heart up in a way that other people weren't. So it was really interesting having this discussion with Charlie because he was able to share these really hurtful things, you know, about his relationship with his wife. But I want to get, you know, because we're going to have to move this on and we'll get to the point of, of, of talking to members and, and, and their various problems related to, you know, eat form type stuff. But when we talk about food and when we talk about our relationship with ourselves, what we're really talking about is dealing with the underlying issues that make you want to eat 1,100 calories or that make you want to, you know, drink every single night till you forget everything, you know? What are those things? And in his instance, and this is something that I think is really important for, for everyone, no matter what you're dealing with, but especially as it relates to food, you need to be number one, okay? And if you're not number one, you're really going to struggle. One of the best things that, one of the best gifts I give my children and my wife is that I put myself first. That means that I try to get an adequate amount of sleep. I try to be able to be there for them emotionally. I try all these different things. I'm not perfect at it. Like I said earlier, I could hug them more. I could do all these things. But in general, they're better off with me, number one. Number two is the best gift that you can give your children is to love your wife and work on that relationship that whole time. And this has a point because what ultimately Charlie is, is, the stu is struggling with is do I put myself first and then leave this hurting person or how do I care for this person? The standard idea is an intervention, right? And an intervention is basically a way of saying we're going to take away our love for you, right? As a way of threatening that person to get the help that they need. And it almost never works. Like from a percentage, it almost never works. I don't know the answer to that piece. But I know that that, that person needs more caring. I know, you know, we're, we're coming up on, on seven minutes left in this discussion. What ultimately allowed me to become who I am right now and become a more adjusted person is I wanted a, they say that the best way that you can recover is if you have a basis of a good life previous to that so I don't know how 67 year old people you know who've gone through a whole life of hurt get to a point where they want, you know, some level of the next thing. But for all of us, Rat Disneyland is the goal. You know, the goal is 
a life of abundance, you know, a life where you can eat foods that you like and you can, you know, not do destructive things like to your body, like smoking or, or, or something of that nature. There's something that is drawing you to these things that are providing you hurtful stuff, right? What makes you want to hurt yourself? From his point, you know, and I said to him, I was like, hey, I can't speak to whether or not you should leave your wife or not, but I can say to you that you need to be number one. You know, I've been in Al-Anon meetings. I know exactly what they would tell him. You know, they would tell him to go, <laughs> to get out of that toxic environment. I don't know that that is the answer in every situation. Um, I think that, you know, the, the, the mom in this situation needs to, you know, understand that, that there is caring and love around her and that the people that, you know, are going to, you know, provide that care and love will do so, you know, forever. Like the whole threat of we're all going to leave, but just because, you know, he puts himself as a priority doesn't necessarily mean that he can't care for her. That's That was the message that I gave him. I don't know ultimately what his wife will choose. I don't know ultimately whether or not she will see the value in the relationship. But I do know that from his standpoint, if he puts himself first, and he makes a life of abundance a priority in his life, that's going to be a net positive. I think this is really important because you're going to be you're going to listen to this and you're going to hear alcohol. But you really should hear food, and you should really hear gambling, and you should really hear nicotine, and you should really hear addiction, or 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 just all forms of of addiction. You know, what is drawing you? to things that are hurtful. And it was very difficult for me to go down the path of introspection and to be honest with myself about the harmful things that, you know, I had done to people and to be honest with myself about the things that had been done to me cuz I would love to have forgotten all those things, you know. I have to say though, after listening to other people's stories, it was a little bit easier to tell my story, you know, and it was a little bit easier to open up, you know, with the people that were helping me from a psychiatry standpoint, you know, or a psychologist, I can't even remember what it was at the time. Um, because if other people were sharing those things, that's what I, what I really think the value of AA is, is, you know, at some point, in my life, I, I just had to move on. You know, I, I still like to be helpful in some way, shape, or form. I mean, my 30 years coming up in February, and I will 100% get that, you know, pen. But if there's any one thing that I would say to every single person out there dealing with any kind of addiction is do the work. And the real work is not abstaining from sex. It's not abstaining from alcohol. It's, it's piercing your heart 
and opening up. And I can tell you it's worth it. You know, it's worth it if you pursue a life of abundance. The problem with food, though, is that there's a lot of people that would say, you know, there's food addictions, there's food, you know, um, triggers, you know, all this other type of stuff. I always wonder, like, where people's thought process is there, you know, because do you think you're food addicted because you don't have eight pack abs, right? Or are you food addicted because, you know, you have a deeper psychological trauma that you need to be dealing with. Like there's two layers there. Like all the people that talk about sugar addiction, you know, I, I often talk about the fact that we're really talking about energy addiction there. I think we can all become really super obsessive about, you know, and I certainly, you know, I talked a little bit about it, you know, with the people and, and, and we're going to be ending this up here real soon. But I would agree that anybody who is overtly, you know, sober or whatever, you know, they might want to chill out a bit, you know. I mean, there's the whole fake it till you, till you make it part. But I can tell you that other than obviously this, you know, type of discussion, I don't wear my sobriety on my sleeve. I don't, you know, focus on things that way. You know, it just is who I, who it is. And, and there is a piece for me in what I like to be. And I don't have an expectation of what other people have for me, you know, and in that way, I have peace there. So I hope this helps everybody. Uh, I, I appreciate everybody listening, you know, and, and I, you know, the last thing I want to say is just take it for what it's worth, right? And so I'll talk to you guys later. All right, so... If you guys have any questions about this, um, we could talk about that. But I thought it was, I just thought it was so interesting, you know, talking to this guy. And I, I did struggle with, you know, I mean, he was 100%, you know, 100% like, I'm leaving my wife, you know. Um, and I said to him, you know, I was like, why haven't you left your wife yet? You know, I said, you haven't left your wife for a number of reasons. You haven't left your wife because one, you care about this person. But two, you know, you're probably fearful of the life that you will have to build after this. And if I know any one thing about anything, is that he got something from the relationship as well. I mean, most people that are in harmful relationships tend to think of it as if they weren't part of the thing. I mean, certainly they don't need to be shit on their whole life, right? But at the same time, you know, there was a hole being filled there, you know. Um, but what makes you seek out harm right what makes you seek out the things that you know don't fill your bucket you know and in some ways i think kind of like the materialistic thing um you know i was thinking about this you know i went for a walk today and i was thinking about 
why rich people are perceived as dicks, right? I was thinking about Donald Trump, and and I, this is not political at all, right? But when you are doing the kinds of things that these guys are doing, there's there's kind of two kinds of wealth, right? There's the celebrity wealth, and then there's the the you know you've built businesses wealth. The businesses wealth, you have to be involved with a lot of sucky shit, right? And to a certain extent, I think that there's, you know, some ego involved. I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a little bit of ego involved with, with Eat to Perform. But I can say for myself that I wake up daily thinking about, you know, the people that pay their bills with Eat to Perform money. And that, to me, is important. And on a secondary note, you know, I do feel like we're changing the world by changing the perspective of people. That was a little bit of the thing that happened in Kansas City where, you know, I mean, there was more than a few tears as people were talking about about Eat to Perform. I thought the funniest thing, Sarah, was... And, and, Please unmute yourself so we can have a, more of a conversation. But I still, oh, that's so nice of you. I still think the funniest thing is when people go, "Dude, you are such a normal guy." Oh yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you should only know. Well, you should only know. <laughs> I know, but but you know, like I just hung out with um, Carl, you know, all day long, and it was just a blast. You know, it was just so much fun being able to um, see what his business is like. And what was funny about it is I was kind of teasing him a little bit because we, we got halfway through the day. And, I mean, he must have taken 25 calls, you know. And I was like, my business is big. And I've not picked up my phone once. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And I mean, you, and you know, Sarah, like people talk about the fact that I don't delegate stuff enough. Yeah. And the fact that I can be in Kansas City and not pick up the phone once, you know, I mean, people need to realize that, you know, that that was the case. But getting yeah. back to like the, the accumulation of things, as you try to accumulate things, you know, I, I can't think of. A better example of than this and even though it's not an accumulation of thing but there's that meme where there's a person that has fat to use and then they lose a bunch of weight and they're, they're smaller and then they go that wasn't it <laughs> and right. I think that a lot of people are pursuing materialistic stuff you know wanting it to fill kind of this hole and I feel like as you pursue that most people don't realize what it takes to do that I think there's a reason why celebrities who get a lot of wealth become like philanthropic and and you know like we're all doing like super liberal stuff, you know, yeah. because the world hasn't shit on them on the way up there. 
You know, I mean, yeah, they have to have tough skin to be a celebrity, but in general, they haven't had to make the kind of decisions that, say, Donald Trump made, right? And I will go ahead and just tell you guys because I don't really give a shit, but but I'm fairly liberal, you know, um, as a, as a business person, I'm 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 pretty um, probably conservative from that standpoint, but socially, um, I'm fairly liberal. You know, so I tend to kind of go to the sides of, of the people that, you know, are, are focused on the caring. But I do, I do, I do really appreciate how difficult that problem is, you know, because as, as a small business owner and as somebody who's been a small business owner many times over, I don't know how anyone makes it, you know, because the... Taxes that you have to pay along the way, you know, and then the accountants that you have to pay and all these different things ultimately, you know, make it really, really difficult to sort of get by, which, you know, seems like it's not related to the overall topic of fat loss, right? But I do think it is. I really think that there's a lot of people that have been looking for this thing that's going mm -hmm. to fill this hole inside of them. Right. And, you know, they haven't quite gotten there or maybe they got there at one point in time and they remember it where they were a little bit happier than they are now. What if you were just 25? And when you were 25, you didn't have a lot of responsibilities, and now you have more responsibilities, and it had nothing to do with you being a fucking size six. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. why not just be happy now? Why not just love yourself now? You know? I mean, one of the things that allowed me to pursue fitness, and you know, I've talked about this a lot, is the fact that I always loved that guy in the mirror. You know, I, I learned that early on. I learned that very awesome. early on in my recovery that I really cared for my, I had to care for myself. And if I didn't care for myself, and then ironically, I can't remember. I think it was like Oprah. Honestly, I, I, I think it was, you know, I have to tell you guys, I've probably watched more Oprah than I would like to admit to, um, <laughs> which is sort of funny related to the weight loss thing. But, um, you know, she talked about, you know, or there was there was somebody talking about that the best gift that you can give your children is to love your wife or husband. And I just ran with that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, that couples that have a healthy relationship, you ebb and flow. You know, that's the thing that was really interesting. I mean, I don't know that I got this point across necessarily with the addiction part of this. And if you listen to the podcast, guess what? Nice little bonus for you. <laughs> but I think that people, and, and certainly with the food part too, people have this hole and they think that they're going to deal with the hole and then their life's going to be perfect. That ain't how it works. You know, that's just not how it works. All new holes appear. The only thing is, is that you ultimately are trying to figure out your template to deal with the holes that it open up in your soul on occasion. And 
what I found for myself is, is if I have adequate amount of rest, if I have movement as a priority in my life, if I don't com consistently eat, you know, foods that are convenient or that, you know, or have high calories, you know, or, you know, that I know is going to be harmful. You know, I mean, we were having a discussion in group coaching where somebody was talking about the fact that they don't weigh themselves. Right. Yeah. The reason why people don't weigh themselves, you, you're going to have to show me this. If there's the one example, uh, you know, I'll hear you out. But the reason why you don't weigh yourself is because you don't want to know. And your reason why you don't want to know is because you don't want to know that it went up. But if you knew that going up was going to allow you to reach your goals, because a little bit of the scale going down is the scale going up on occasion. So if you live in fear, I mean, I'll fully tell you, you know, if you don't eat carbohydrates and you live a life of chicken and kale, yeah, you're right. Your weight will not it will not go up or will not go down dramatically. You will stay weight stable. Mm -hmm. But if you're choosing that extreme of an option, there's probably a deeper rooted issue in the first place. And snuggling up to chicken and kale probably isn't going to be the answer. And then what happens is you go on vacation. You decide that you actually want to be a normal human being and you gain 10 pounds and all of a sudden you blame the foods that you could have been eating in moderation for what ultimately you know the thing that always kills me is when people say when i started eating an adequate amount of calories you know my weight went up two to three pounds and that bothers me shouldn't it bother you that you ate in an uninformed way for so many years and that that was the problem? You know, I'm not saying that, you know, you should go from just chicken and kale to sleeves of Oreos nonstop, right? But, and and there's always some level of, of, of personal accountability. I mean, there was just, I I just, I'm so struck I was talking to this little girl, she was 17, and, and Carl asked me to talk to her, so I talked to her. I typically don't like talking to teenagers, um, especially young girls, because I have a young girls, and so I want to make sure that these gals are walking away with a healthy approach to food. But I do know this, if I don't talk to them, some other idiot's gonna, Yeah. and he's gonna tell them yeah. something that they... But, but the thing that I said to her, and I, 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 I framed it as if I was talking to my daughter. And I said, when I'm talking to my daughters related to food and activity and stuff like this, there has to be a discussion of what true beauty is. And when you are older and you have some level of reflection on what true beauty is what you start to realize is that beauty is is what emanates from somebody within them 
that that if you show me someone that's confident, that is comfortable in their own skin, that that is a caring person, that person is often beautiful. You know, like you would look at that person. I mean, like if you looked at my grandmother, you know, I mean, she wasn't going to be on the on the cover of Vogue anytime soon. But, you know, 400 people showed up at her funeral. You know, um, she would hold court in her kitchen with people in the neighborhood that just came over to be like people would come home from work. And stop by my grandmother just to say hi. You know? Aww. That's what beauty is. Right? Yeah. And and so as as we were as I was talking to Cassidy, you know, I said the only way that that you're ever not beautiful, that you'll ever not love yourself, is when you allow bad messages to sink in. You should always have a deep affection for yourself and mm -hmm. make sure that that you're choosing paths that are going to add more than they take away from you. That's that, you know, it's interesting because people will often say, well, you know, I just don't have enough friends or um, I don't, you know, have whatever. And I think to myself, when you have a, a caring understanding for who you are in the world, when you have friends that are 21, it's natural to filter them out of your life. It's natural for them to move on and you to move on. And maybe they move on to a more positive path and then you move on to another positive path just different ways but it's natural for you to be 48 years old and not have any of the friends that you had when you were 13 right. years old and i think that people look back at when they were young and they were surrounded by people and stuff like this with all of these kind of superficial relationships and they've sort of whittled down to these really close relationships with, that they have with their children, that they have with their family. As, 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 as messed up as all parts of my family are, you know, I have a deep connection with them from the standpoint of I've watched them grow up. You know, I've watched them and, and even, even not, you know, even the adults. You know, I've seen them become who they they are. Even, you know, we all have flaws, but the fact that, you know, they consistently show up, you know, there's something to that, man. I mean, there's something to continuously trying to pursue, you know, family traditions, you know, yeah. Christmas and Easter. Think about it. Think about it. Mm -hmm. The people that show up at Christmas and Easter, I mean, and, and this is not a religious thing, you know. The person that's not showing up there, he might be getting high. He might, you know, he might, he might be pursuing like a negative path. The people that show up tend to be the people that you build the closest relationships with. And you do sort of wonder like what makes, there's some people, I mean, I'm thinking of, 
uh, of someone in my family right now that struggles coming by. And he struggles wanting the caring from the rest of us. You know, there's no shortage of caring. We've all tried to care for him. But at the end of the day, he's figured that he doesn't want the caring. I think if you're trying to figure out alcohol, food, your relationship with food, you know, all these different things, you know, um, I'll throw in sugar, but I, I just, I just feel like a lot of the things that happen with, with sugar and, and energy dense foods that people are abusing really comes down to kind of their relationship with themselves, their relationship with, with, you know, consistency, you know, I, I really don't think that the answers come down to macros. I really don't. I think it comes right. down to, you know, totally are, agree. are you getting an adequate amount of sleep? Are you, right. you know, making, Recovery. yeah. Are you, you know, I mean, yesterday as an example, I haven't been able to blog about it yet, but yesterday I was only able to get five and a half hours sleep. I slept for like a half hour on the plane and I was like, you know what? I'm not working out on this day. I know that I have to wake up at 6 37 o'clock on weekdays. So guess what? I went to bed at nine o'clock. Now, you know, I could have easily said, well, you know, there's all this really cool stuff on TV and made that a priority in my life. But you're going to have to show me the one person that goes, you know what? Not having an adequate amount of sleep didn't really make that big of a difference for me. I hear the opposite nonstop though, right? But then you say, well, what time do you get up each day? And they say five o'clock. I said, well, okay, let's do the math. That means that you have to start getting to bed around what, eight, nine o'clock? They're like, oh yeah, there's no way I could do that. Well, you're choosing that, right? And, and maybe you're choosing it for a reason and, and, and I'm not saying this in a judgmental way, but don't tell me that you're going to prioritize something, you know? I mean, right. what, what, what I was saying to this, this cab driver, I said, man, one of the reasons why I think you stuck in this bad situation is because you care for this lady. I said, but you know what? you're probably scared shitless, you know? Yeah. And I said, I'm going to tell you something. You should be because you probably have to change just about everything, you know? Yeah. But I can tell you it's worth it. I can tell you that, but I can tell you that there's a lot of hurt involved that you should find somebody to talk to on a professional level. I think that that would make a big difference for you. And then I said, but you got to, you got to wake up thinking every day that you're going to be number one. And, and at some point, maybe you can repair the relationship with your wife and maybe she can, you know, seek the help that she needs, but you'll never be what you need to be for her. If you can't be a hundred percent what you need to be for you, you know, and I, I believe that to my core, you know, mm -hmm. um, so not a lot of not a lot of fat loss talk, but I really genuinely believe that we are having fat loss talk. You know, yeah. I, I I just wonder like how many people, you know, I mean, who gives a shit about abs, man? You know what I mean? Like if if 
if you can make fitness a priority in your life and ultimately that lands you with a physique that that looks really good but it's sort of like the whole wealth you know analogy that i was using the more you pursue that wealth oftentimes you don't realize the the hurdles that happen as a result of that right. you know so you start going down this path of acquiring things and then you realize that you've compromised who you are and you'd be better off you know putting yourself first analyzing why those things are a priority for you and then you know making different decisions i'm not saying i don't live in a nice house i'm not saying that i don't drive a reliable car you know i do but um and and there are certainly sacrifices that i make i mean you know my daughter this weekend was at you know she was qualifying for roller skating for regionals i couldn't be there because i was in kansas city as a business thing you know my family knows that we do have some nice things though Right. So we there there's some give and take, you know, as it relates to all of it. I mean, one of the things that's nice for them is that, you know, even form certainly fills some cups for me. You know, I like, you know, obviously, I hope everybody's noticing that that I like being able to share my experience. So it helps people get through their experiences. And that, to me, is one of the things that, that makes me a whole human being, right? So my family knows that, you know. But I do have, I do have a sixth sense. I've got to tell you guys. I mean, I have a sixth sense related to my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my children. You know, if, if I start to feel distanced from them, I actively work to fill that gap. And I think there's a lot of folks that kind of let that go or if they, they're having an uncomfortable moment. I mean, I have two teenage daughters. You don't think I have uncomfortable moments nonstop. But, you know, we get it out. You know, we, we, we talk about it. You know, I mean, we, we, we talk about all the hard stuff, you know, and what's what's nice about my children now and i bet you experienced this too sarah where they're they're little adults now you can talk you can you can talk to them as if i mean you know i don't even think it's like you know my kids are smarter than me right right like totally absolutely yeah they're totally smarter than me now you know and then when they get together yeah. Their smartness gangs up on you. Yeah, but the only thing is is that we have experience on them. Yeah. And that experience, I mean, we will we'll only have a few more years of that, but right now we got a little bit of the upper hand just because they don't know how to make dinner or they don't know right. or they don't they don't know how to acquire groceries for free. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um so That's right. Anyway, I appreciate everybody listening to this. I know it's not the normal, typical fat loss stuff, but I really genuinely believe that this is these these topics, whenever we yeah, can absolutely. deep dive things like this, man, it's so huge for people. Yeah. And even though it might not be a direct hit for you, hopefully, you know, it, it allows you um, a, another way of thinking. I know there has been times where 
I've been insensitive to other people that are addicted to things that that TED Talk did help me with. That, you know, some level of caring makes sense. But at the same time, you know, if you have someone that's shooting up heroin nonstop, you know, trying to care for them by bringing an unstable person into your stable environment, that's obviously not a great fit either, right? Right. So there's always how can you care while also protecting what is dear to you. So, you know, kind of keep that in mind. All right, you guys. Well, I appreciate you listening. And I'm sorry I didn't give you guys a secret to fat loss yet again. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Bye, you guys.